Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, with me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Yeehaw! And with us is Lawrence M. Schoen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So, Susan, you are, you and Lawrence have a very long history. <laughs> we played D&D together back in the day. Uh, that's what the kids are calling it. That's what they, yes, well, yes. they're still calling it that. Okay, um, okay. And they still play with dice, Lord love them. Um, back in, back in those days, he, he was like the only kid in our D&D group who could speak Elvish, and he managed to parlay that into some fanish history. By, by organizing the Klingon Language Institute. Yeah, because, guilty, guilty as charged. Because yes, Klingons uh, and elves have so much in common. Well, they <laughs> they are, um, you know, invented languages. Yes, both invented languages, that's and, true. And, and you know, and, and a flair for, for linguistics. But after that, you've uh, parlayed all this into a uh, professional writing career, which is quite admirable. Well, thank you. There's been a lot of parlaying, it seems. Uh, yes, yes, I, I'm the author of four or five books, uh, innumerable short stories, and I have lost m- quite a few major awards at this point. Uh, <laughs> you know, Susan Schwartz once told, asked us the riddle, how many uh, Nebula Award winners does it take to screw in a light bulb? The answer, mm. the answer being, it's it's an honor just to be allowed near a light bulb. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah, oh, you know, this funny. is this is very true. I I mean that that's an old hackneyed expression. It's an honor just being nominated, but it it is true. And and the first time I was nominated for an award, I, I meant it sincerely when I said that because I I looked at the people I, on the ballot with me and I said, wow. This is these are my peers now. That's cool. Having lost the Nebula Award three years in a row now, I, um, it's but, it's but know, nominated I, it's, three years in a row. Yeah, but pardon me. That's got it's losing its shine. It's it? losing its shine a little bit. It's it is yeah. still an nominee an nominer an, an honor being nominated. Uh, and and this past uh, this past April, I guess April or May, when when the awards were handed out. Um, I've never seen such a strong ballot, not just in the category I was nominated in, but the entire ballot was insane. Um, so it was even more of an honor. But um, 
you know, it'd be nice to win now and then. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's always the, it's the, I was having a conversation, uh, this, uh, actually about a week before that with, uh, John Scalzi. Oh, look, I dropped the name. <laughs> um, we were at BEA and he, he was hosting an event that I was in and I said, you know, I just, I just want to win so I can get it, get over it, you know, and move on and do the next thing. And he said, that's exactly how it is. Uh, and I said, well, thanks. That doesn't, that's, that's, it's nice having that confirmed, but it doesn't help me much. Uh, so, you know, o- awards are there just to make us unhappy, I think. And once you have them, you're in, you're in that next club and then you find new things to make yourself unhappy about. Uh, wow, because that's, that's we, deeply we, depressing. It is. <laughs> so this, you always want the, it's not just, you know, it's, it's the psychologist in me talking now. It's not just in, in geekdom or in fandom, mm-hmm. in genre. It's everything in life. Um, when I, I, you know, when I was in grad school, I wanted the doctorate in the worst way. And, and when I achieved it, suddenly, all right, I'm in this club. Everyone, I look around, everyone already has one. So what? <laughs> What's next? Uh, and I think this is just part of the human condition that we, we want what we don't have. And once we at- obtain it, we then find that it does not satisfy whatever emptiness we're trying to fill in our lives. So this is probably much deeper than you want for this show. So well, and um, yet, let's, let's talk about rockets or something. And, um, and yet, uh, and yet, once, once we achieve it, we realize that we are perfectly capable of moving on to the next thing because we reached all of those previous milestones. That's the hope until, um, uh, what's that term? Um, I'm blanking out of the term where, where you, you fear that it was a fluke and everyone's going to figure In- out. Oh, imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. I'm sorry. Imposter syndrome. Yes. Imposter syndrome. So, you know, it's it's all it's it's a it's a really wacky business because I think I think insecurity is the flip side of the coin of ego that comes with for many of us with being an author. I mean, you say I create worlds, and that's great, and you know you have to you have to book a second seat on the airplane, one for you and one for your ego. But when that flips, you go. What if people don't like my next book? What if they don't like the story? What if they don't like the characters? Won't they like me? Mm-hmm. And and that just gets sad. And then you need to have well, something does, come along. But... And you So you never read the reviews. Uh, but then someone comes along and says something that just makes you float. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. I was just in um, Spokane for the Worldcon, as one does. Mm-hmm. And, as and we I were. Was, pardon me? As we were. As you were, and yet I, yeah, I didn't see you. You managed to miss each other, yes. You did not come to my readings or panels. Huh. I, we didn't go to any of them, so that don't doesn't. Feel bad. It was. It had There's something that, to do it, with the, again, uh, the ego thing. So I don't care about those other authors. <laughs> it had a lot to do yeah, with the. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm winning lots of lots of followers with this so far. But, with the fact that with the fact that continue to shoot myself. Yeah. Why don't we just take it from <laughs> from you were in Spokane. That's right. That's right. We're going to edit all that other crap out. I think maybe we should. Um, sure. You know, or not. You he know. didn't sign anything, did he? Uh, I was in Spokane. I was I was attending a party again, as one does, uh, one of the Helsinki bid parties, mm-hmm. and I wandered into a room, you know, looking for the uh, the reindeer pate, and 
There was like a group of of um, four four um, uh, Asian fans here from China, and one of them looked at me, read my name badge, and said, "You're Lawrence Schoen. You wrote Buffalo Dogs." And oh my you goodness, know, to be that that just I was set, you know, right then and there, boom. Uh, somebody remembered the name, remembered the story, had read it in a in a Chinese translation. Uh, come to Worldcon and said that in front of me. So, you know that that's just extraordinary. Uh, and 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 I'm telling you about it here on the radio. So that is awesome. That that really made my made my world con, and it was actually it was a fantastic world con. Many wonderful things happened, and and that was just one of them. Some um, very very memorable things happened, certainly. One of which was that it was the first world con ever to take place during a natural disaster. I'm uh, not sure. Well, it's a fe- certainly a federal disaster zone. Yeah, well, it was. You know, the hotels weren't on fire, but that's uh, true. no. But, but uh, if you went outside, boy, you knew it. Well, you know, and and many people there were saying that that it was um, it was the last days of Pompeii, <laughs> and and I said no, and and I need to share this with you because of the name of your your radio station. Um, I I pointed to the red sun in the sky and I said it was the last days of Krypton. <laughs> oh yes, and, oh. and that and that's why my powers were waning. <laughs> I, and that's our story, and we're sticking to it. That's right. That's so, right. what's the name of so your bu- newest? So book? about the buffaloes. Yeah, see, that's that was my way of segueing here. So, so Buffalo Dogs was the first story mm-hmm. originally intended as a standalone one shot, uh, where the protagonist is a. Um, a bit of a likable rogue is by profession. He's a stage hypnotist, and this is not too. It's fairly near future, within the next hundred years. And he, you know, we've had first contact, and he is performing his act in really bad lounges in space bars, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's a hypnotist in space, and um, he ends up becoming a smuggler of these of these rare and very expensive alien animals that look like picture the American bison scaled down to about the size of a bread box. Uh-huh. They can eat anything and they fart oxygen. That's so cute. Oh wow. They are cute, but really they cost useful. 10 million bucks each. Yeah. Really useful yeah. little creatures. Very. Um, and, and I wrote a first, I wrote a story and called Buffalo dogs. Um, and then I went back and, Wrote another one and another one and another one, and there have been two novels, uh, two novelettes, assorted short stories, and three Nebula Nebula nominated novellas, uh, all in this series. And I'm I'm toying with one more novella, so we, I'm I'm going to see if I can't maybe make that uh that nomination a four streak, but you know because surely i can't lose four times in a row but never um, say that and don't call me and that guarantees you know that should i be fortunate enough to get the nomination i will in fact lose but that's the breaks um but so the amazing conroy is a lot of fun and his his uh he travels around with his personal buffalo dog or buffalito Mm -hmm. uh a creature (laughs) a creature named reggie um and reggie's been a busy boy from the look of it Reggie, Reggie, uh, Reggie's done really well for himself. Yeah. Um, 
And shortly after the, the last Nebula nomination, I was contacted by this fellow in, I believe it's Switzerland, named Richard Martin, Rich Martin, who had this wacky new project. Um, you know, we all know that the publishing model that has been in place since, I don't know, shortly after Gutenberg hasn't mm-hmm. changed much, but obviously te- the technologies have. Um, and he was suggesting something new, sort of a combination between crowdsource funding and a Creative Commons license. And I like the idea, and I, I've released a lot of my material under a Creative Commons license because I want people to read it. Uh, I have a nice day job. I'm not as worried about people paying me for it. Being, being paid is a beautiful thing. Being read is a different kind of beautiful thing. And and since my background is academia, I'm not as motivated by, by external uh, mm-hmm. rewards like money because uh, the bills are paid, so it's not as big a deal. But um, he does this thing where he'll take a story, he'll put a dollar threshold up, and ask people to donate. When they Once that threshold is passed, the story is then released under a Creative Commons license, and anyone can download it for free. Uh, and they can still... You know, hit a donate button, which sends money to the author. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of a pay as you go, pay what you think it's worth, which is a model I really like. I, I'm very much in the, uh, the, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? I'm having a, it's been a long day. Uh, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Abun- the abundance camp as opposed to the scarcity mm-hmm. camp. You know, my feeling is I, I like giving my stuff away because people who might otherwise not pick it up may read it and say, hey, the show guy's okay. As opposed to worrying about people pirating or stealing my stories, taking money out of my pocket. They weren't going to buy it anyway. So I don't see it as money being taken out of my pocket. But, you know, I respect other authors who, who differ in their opinions mm-hmm. on this. Anyway, um, this Rich Martin's project is something called Moosevine, I believe, moosevine.com. Um, hopefully you'll have a link to it somewhere. Is that um, M-O-O-S or? M-O-O-Z. M-O-O-Z or Z for our Canadian listeners. Okay. Uh, V-I-N-E dot com. And, uh, it started about two, three weeks ago with a number of authors. I've, I've happily put him in touch with other, uh, award nominees and award winners who are you know are willing to take a chance on putting their stuff out there eventually turning it over into a creative commons license uh and and so the first week moosevine opened um buffalo dogs was put up for free and in the second week uh they put up the sequel to it a a novelette called buffalo genesis um which they put up with a threshold and it's been up for a little over a week it has another 6 days left and It'll I think be we're about, about five and a half days by the time this is heard. The first five and a half time. days, right? Right, mm-hmm. because we're we're talking in the future. We are, oh, and uh, this is being this is, as you're listening to this. This is being recorded the night before. Ah, so, yeah, so, 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 and, it, and as we're, we're so recording this, wrong? the pledge, the current pledges is seventeen oh six dollars over out of twenty twenty. So twenty twenty. I don't, and, and where he gets these numbers from, I don't know. I have no idea. So, so the good news is it's more than three quarters funded. <laughs> um, the the bad news is it hasn't funded yet, and I'd really like to see it funded. Um, because are you, are you are going to see stories. some of this money? Pardon me. Are you going to see some of this money? 
I've already seen some money, okay. and, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are others, other stories in the series that, that uh, Rich has already acquired that will go up as well. So I actually made a commitment to sort of try to make Moosevine uh, a central repository for a lot of the amazing Conroy stories. So he'll be doling them out, some other ones for free, other ones will go up with thresholds and so forth, um, including at least two of the, the uh, three Nebula-nominated novellas. Uh, and okay. I believe those will be available, be made available for free as well. So, But to get there... Uh, the second novelette needs to needs to get funded. So, well, I did my part. I appreciate. Maybe that. our Thank listeners you. could do some more. Woo. Well, Justify. maybe your readers will race out there and or not. Um, at a minimum, what I like what I like about this model, particularly uh, at this moment, if people think, well, I don't know if I want to throw money at this, they can download the first story for free, and then see if they like it. And then if they like it, they go, wow, I need to read what happens next. <laughs> What's and, next is Reggie's been a busy boy. Reggie, oh, you've read the story. No, you haven't. Well, I've read the, the portion that's You've read up. the blurb. Yes, yes. Reggie, Reggie uh, is a busy boy. Reggie fathers the next generation of, of buffalitos. Uh, and things get very tricky. Um, and, but this, this novella, this uh, novella, this novelette wasn't actually the next story that I wrote in the sequence. Uh, I went off and wrote something completely different about Conroy and Reggie. Um, and then some fans wrote in and pointed out an inconsistency that based on what you read at the end of the first story, Con- Conroy's hired, you know, basically to deliver a buffalito to Earth. And he, that there are sh- shenanigans, but the ones he's supposed to deliver is Reggie. And then the next story I wrote, he and Reggie are off somewhere else having a good time. And the the fan said, Wait. "How did this happen? Why didn't he turn Reggie in?" That is kind of a an interesting lapse in continuity, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, I, you know, the 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 great thing about writing is when you paint yourself into a corner, uh, the challenge is to you know create a window and jump out of it. Uh, and so I wrote this novelette, which uh, takes place like immediately after the first story to explain all of that and to, you know, instead of making, instead of having a bug, uh, I made it a feature and <laughs> it became a, a point of conflict and lots of plot developed from it. And, and we had a little adventure, uh, and ideally, uh, you know, hilarity ensues because the Conroy stories are intended to be light and humorous on, as opposed to the stuff I'm writing nowadays, which is, Less so, let us say. So it's, um, you've got this elaborate universe set up, and uh, you have these strange little creatures that fart oxygen. <laughs> I love the, uh, I love the base idea of it. I mean, it's, they, they it just appeals a, to the 12 year old in me. They must have a very interesting metabolism. This, they do, and and this has been a source of, of conflict in some other stories because uh, basically through through the use of lots of hand wavium, uh, <laughs> it, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it's apparent that um, I mean the only thing that comes out of these creatures is oxygen, 
regardless of what you put in the other end. So they're 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 clearly managing to do both fission and fusion internally, and nobody's blowing up. Yeah, that's a good trick. It's a good trick. Um, and you know, my some people have have looked at some of these stories and said, "Well, the, this isn't science fiction. This is fantasy because I'm not explaining any of this." And 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 I think that's a valid criticism, but I also point out that. Well, what's you know, wrong with fantasy? <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with fantasy, but I, I think that 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 alone doesn't make you know it's, it's not magic. I never say it's magic, and I and I say you know I can get in my car and and drive to the store, but I and on a, if I had to, I could change the oil, and I once once changed spark plugs and gapped the plugs and all of that, but I can't build an internal combustion engine and. You know, I really can't tell you how it works, so it's not magic. It's Clark's third law. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. There you go. And we can go with that. And it's, we can it's, go with that. It's, now, if, well, and Con- Conroy is a, sta- is, is a stage hypnotist. If he were an engineer, then, yeah, it, that would be a fair criticism. But now the hypnosis, unfortunately, in the early stories, you know, a lot of it is, is crap. Uh, because you know, I was I was faking it based on what I remembered from classes I took in, as an undergrad in psychology mm-hmm. and then as a grad student in psychology. So some of the stuff isn't accurate. More recently, though, um, circumstances came together that allowed me to to go off and become certified as a hypnotherapist myself. So the story since then, uh, the the hypnosis is much more accurate and and in many ways cooler as a result. But the public's misconceptions about hypnosis are are legendary, and I was happy to yeah. play off of that. Oh, it's it, hypnosis is one of those uh, science fiction plot devices, you know, from from the fifties, really, the forties and fifties, because nobody understood it. Like like um, like X rays make you quack like a duck against your mm-hmm. will or whatever. Right? No. <laughs> Well, no. yes and no, and that's where you get into the gray mm-hmm. area, and that's the fun stuff. Uh, and and that's that was that's been used as plot points in various uh, of the Conroy mm-hmm. stories, and and even more therapeutic uses of hypnosis in in some of the Conroy stories. Um, and it's fun. It's been a lot of fun. I, I like Conroy. Um, and my hope is that uh, with the the new book that's coming out, that's completely different. That. That will generate interest in publishers to say, "Hey, what else do you have?" Uh, because the the two novels have all re- have reverted back to me, so I'd be happy to sell them to a, a larger press uh, because the small press that did them, you know, had no budget to speak of, and they were only sold in the U.S. and not and not very many copies were printed. So, so uh, they had uh, first publication rights and they used them and. Um that was it. And that was mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and only in the US. So you know, now there's many more markets out there. Uh the ebooks are out there and I, I retain those rights. Mm-hmm. Uh but somebody can buy those from me too. So uh first publication rights used to be the uh the thing that every publisher wanted to have, and second publication rights and anything else was uh really kind of a second-class citizen in the publishing very, industry. Very much so. Um, but I think that was, and that was always the rule with the big press. Uh, mm-hmm. When as small presses 
have begun to proliferate. Um, you know, some of them are so small that it doesn't really matter. Uh, yes, the first, technically the first print rights are gone, but nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a yeah, big press can true. come along and, and, and get the rights cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be able well, to, and be able to do more with it as a result. And be able to do more with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, for example, earlier today, I sold, um, Chinese translation rights to, uh, one of these short stories, um, in, in the Conroy universe. Uh, probably for about two times as much as I got paid for the story in English originally. Oh my goodness. Um, and, and that's a lovely thing too. Um, but you know, you you different different markets have different budgets. Uh, the anthology that originally bought that story, and it's a it's a, a very nice story. I'm really happy with the story. It's probably one of my favorites of the Conroy stories. A thing called Yesterday's Taste. Um, they you know it was a small press out of Ireland of all places, uh, and and they paid me a a a fair amount for the story given what the market was. Uh, and China came along and said, we want it, and here's what we're offering. And they didn't know what the other people had paid years before, and I wasn't about to tell them. Oh, of course not. Then hopefully they won't listen to this radio broadcast. <laughs> but, because I haven't got the check in hand, so this may have been a mistake on my part, even bringing this up. But, well, uh, they, yeah, we're not mentioning numbers, of course, so. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Billions and billions of... Uh, yeah, well, we don't we don't ask. Yeah, we don't ask. <laughs> it's not and tactful. Not to mention the fact that the rate of exchange goes back and forth like crazy. Anyway, so who who knows? Who can tell? Anyway, um, so the Conroy stories all began with um, Buffalo Dog. Is that or did you had you written any stories prior to that? It, 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 the first story is Buffalo Dogs, mm-hmm. and and it actually began in a strange way. I was it was the last night of um, a two week writers workshop that uh, James Gunn, uh, I think he still runs out of the University of Kansas, and I don't know how people do Clarion for six weeks. After two weeks, I wanted to kill all these people, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. or at least at least put them in stories and and kill those characters. Um, but it's the last night, and we're all, you know, happy that it's over, and we're going to go our separate ways in the morning. And this line of dialogue popped into my head, and and it just it sprang out of my mouth before I could even figure out what it meant. And I just said, put down the buffalo dog and step away from the bar. <laughs> all right, then. And, <laughs> and, and the room went dead quiet. And they're all looking at me, and I said, I have no idea what that means, but I vow to put it in the story one day. Uh, and about a year later, I got the idea for a story. And I was mm-hmm. the whole point of writing it was just to get, get to that moment where I could put in that dialogue. And I'm writing 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words, trying to get to that scene. I finally got to that scene about 6,000 words in. I went, oh, so relieved, except... I hadn't gotten to the end of the story, and I had another almost 2,000 words to go mm-hmm. uh, before I could, you know, sort of tie it off. Um, and and I never expected it to become a franchise. But uh, that that's where Buffalo Dogs came from. And then later, the name of the creatures was sort of switched to Buffalito, because that was, that was a better word for search engines, as it turned out. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, right, because buffalo and dog yeah. oh, matches anything. Things yeah. and, and- but but if you search for buffalitos, you'll you'll often get Mexican restaurants and people really? routinely send me you know snapshots of buffalitos on a menu somewhere. They expect <laughs> me to be horrified. Reggie! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That's that's massively cool. <laughs> I just have to, that's yeah. You're a, you're a sick man. So, oh. so Reggie's got puppies. Reggie, Reggie has puppies, and Conroy breaks the alien monopoly on buffalitos, um, and and this comes back to haunt him. Um, one one of the the problems with it was, you know, you take a character who has nothing. He's poor. He's been, then been blacklisted. He can't work in his profession. And, and I made him this mega billionaire. <laughs> so he's really got so nothing the, to lose. So the next, and, yeah. So, the, so of course, the next thing you have to do to him is take it away. Right, and that's book one. Yeah. That's the first novel. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and and return him to his destiny, which is to be a stage hypnotist. Uh, and it takes him a while to realize that. That's. And what did Reggie say when he sent his puppy boy out into the world? Bye, son. Oh, oh, oh. That's, I no was... one has ever said that to me. That's, that's, just, that's just horrible. Thank you. Wow. I mean, routinely at a convention, someone will come up to me and say, Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. Uh, that, that famous sentence. But... Um, and, and if your listeners don't know what it, it is, uh, go to Wikipedia and find out. But painful stuff. Ow! I should just turn <laughs> turn off my computer and, and hang up right now. Um, nah, don't do that. But no, no. Instead, I will do shameless shameless self promotion if you'll let me, because I, I want to tell about. you about. You know, I've traded in the buffaloes for elephants. As Apparently so. Mammoths, <laughs> pocket, <laughs> pocket pocket mammoths. No, 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 the, no more small miniature. Great story about the elephanti, uh, long, long ago. But uh, and I always admired that. But but no, no. Um, I the the new book coming out from Tor is about is anthropomorphic science fiction, hmm. which you don't tend to see a lot of from the major presses. Um, no. So and there may be a reason for that, as I'm, as I'm going to discover. Furry stories. But, yeah, I was going to say, oh, it's, it's, it's fur, funny it's dogs or funny animals or yeah. ducks or something. No. No, no this has, this has be been described as <sighs> Dune meets the sixth sense with elephants, um, which I think sounds pretty cool. But um, the this is a, the novel is called Barsk, the Elephant's Graveyard, and in the in this far future science fiction novel, the, gal- the galaxy is filled with all of these uh, uplifted species, what I like to call uh-huh. raised mammals. Uh-huh. Um, and all but, but one group of them have fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the group that doesn't are the, the two species of, of uplifted elephants. Um, and everybody hates them. And eventually they round them all up and put them on, on one planet that nobody else wants. And they thrive there. And, and they're, 
these elephants are living on these tiny islands in in the upper tiers. They've built cities in inside a rain, inside rainforests, like tree houses inside rainforests. So you picture these elephants trundling along up up in the canopy of these rainforests, and that's pretty just, scary. Actually, how do they get up uh, there? Well, they climb, but. Uh, <laughs> But they've discovered this tremendous pharmacopoeia God, in the in pajamas, I'll never know. And and the rest of the galaxy wants the medicines that they produce. And so uh-huh. they've worked out a deal some 800 years prior to the novel that the elephants on Bars give them all their stuff. And they're left alone to, you know, live the life that they want to live. Right. And and one, one of the drugs that they develop um, in their rainforest world is a drug that allows certain people with a presumably a genetic predisposition to speak to the dead um, and this was kind of cool because I, I got to invent a new branch of, of uh, physics or, or at least a new set of subatomic particles um, see there's science fiction mm. um, and the idea is that all of us are giving off particles of personality and that our interactions with one another, our accumulation, our memory of these interactions are, are an accumulation of these particles. But if you're someone who can manipulate these particles, you can amass a bunch of particles from one person after they're dead. And when you have enough of them, you can create a simulacrum of that individual and, and engage it in conversation. I and see. so a That's large portion of the book is about our protagonist who has this talent, who uh, who had gone out, left Barsk, gone out in the space patrol, uh, and had come back because his best friend had died. And he had to, you know, he had to help bury him. Mm-hmm. And the first time we meet him, he's having a conversation with a dead friend, which he's done several times since he's been back. And he's trying to understand why the man died. And he's fairly certain his friend committed suicide. Mm. And he oh, won't boy. tell him why. Is this a human or an elephant person? An elephant. These, are all ele- these are elephants. Okay. These are elephants. We don't see any humans. Uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers out, okay. but uh, okay. we will see a human eventually. But uh, uh, And we, we see artifacts from a time before. Um, and someone is systematically destroying them. Um, okay. And the other, so so this this character who can speak to the dead uh, is our is our main protagonist, and he believes he may be involved in a prophecy that has been written down eight hundred years before by the person who discovered the drug that lets you talk to the dead. Uh-huh. And and she has marked him uh, in effect because one of her other prophecies. Uh, what l- included directions that somebody would come along that did various things and, and sh- that person should be marked and he fits that description. So he's he feels like in some ways his entire life has been predetermined by this 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 woman who's been dead for 800 years. Goodness. And then she comes back. Let's say she's oh, got to awesome. talk to him. She's, uh, he's got to talk to that's her a nice, That's a nice hook. And she comes well, back. Well, then you'll really like this. All right, I'll give you one spoiler because there's so much else in the book. Um, the, ba- the bad people who are trying to 
you know, figure out a way to, to not be dependent on the elephants for the, for these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, they hire a telepath to, who can, who also can speak to the dead, uh, to interview dead elephants and probe their minds for information about the drug so they can recreate it. And one of the rules set up by the person who, there are three rules set up by the person who discovered the drug, this, this old elephant, we call her the matriarch. Um, one of the rules is you never summon anybody else who was ever able to summon the dead. And she breaks that rule because she's had such bad luck all the elephants she's talked to, you know, none of them know anything. Mm-hmm. So she she goes to talk to this woman, and this is the woman who kept having these prophetic visions. and And one of them was that a telepath would one day summon her after she was dead, and she takes over the mind of the telepath. Oh, and that would be why you don't want to bring back anybody who's able to do that. Well, she didn't want anybody doing that so that no one so that so that no one would figure out a, a defense against it presumably because she knew that she, this way she could be back she could be alive again and oh, finish her mission. Wow. And her mission is just to protect the, the elephants of Barsk. Okay, um So Barsk is the world. Stop now. I'm throwing money. Excellent. <laughs> shut up and so take our money. Shut up and take our money. For four 500 copies. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, we can start with one. But. One is a good place to start. Uh, <laughs> I want to start. And, well, we might pick up is, a couple for the uh, the the docking bay. You know, this is the cargo this is bay. Just yep. the, the, the merest piece of it. Uh, wow. As I said, this, this book actually has been almost twenty oh years, more than twenty years in the making. Um, I I actually wrote the entire novel in the uh, in the late eighties. Uh, it's the first book I ever wrote, and and. I tried to sell it, and thankfully nobody bought it because it was terrible. Because they didn't know how to write. Uh, (laughs) But I loved the ideas, and eventually I wised up enough and said, "You know, I I thank God no one bought the book." And I put it in a drawer and said, "One day, hopefully, I will. I will grow. I will. I will develop the skills I need to write this story." Um, I mean, because the first version had things in it like. Oh, you, you you know how in Dune, Frank Herbert has every chapter beginning with a section from the Encyclopedia Galactica. Oh, and, yes. and because he was the first person to do it, it's cool. Uh-huh. But nobody can get away with that now. Right. Well, I didn't realize that. So <laughs> when I wrote this, there were 50 chapters oh. and every chapter was an excerpt from something written by our protagonist, who who's a historian. He's an academic. Uh, and And so he's... You're gaining insight into the character by looking at his writings, but no, you can't do that. Um, but nobody told me that. And th- th- that's just one of, of many horrendous rookie mistakes I made in, in writing this book. Um, but uh, fortunately, uh, it, got, it got put away, and, and many people taught me many things, and, and the result is coming out at the end of December – and and we will talk I'm, again at I'm, that time. Pardon me? Oh, yeah. And we will we'll speak again. I hope so. I'd, I'd very much love to come back to Krypton Radio and and tell you more about it and do a, an entire Barsk show. So this this 800-year-old um, matriarch. matriarch, matriarch, this telepathic elephant. Has, no, no, she, she's not telepathic. She's not telepathic. No. But she, she has no. the ability to... Uh, 
to speak with the dead. Uh, she can speak with the dead. Uh, and, she kicked and the she, telepaths, but... She is summoned by another speaker of the dead, who happens to be an otter, by the way, mm. uh, who also is a telepath. Uh, a very rare combination of talents. And, and she suborns that, the, the telepath's ability. And basically sets up residence in her head and doesn't leave when she's sent away because she knows more about summoning the dead than anybody else because she literally invented it. Um, so she's basically wearing the otter's skin at that point. Yes. So yes. it begs the question, how much derm could a pachyderm pack if a pachyderm could pack derm? Oh, oh, I kind of walked into that one, didn't did. I? Wow. wow. I, I thought the buy son thing was a bit much. <sighs> you know, the other fun thing in all this is th- there's, there's a small child uh, who's a major character um, who's an albino. And, and he, is, he, is, he is worse than unclean. He is shunned. His, he should not mm-hmm. be walking around. He is, he, I he thought is the white elephant was sacred. Not in this culture. Not in this culture. One, one of the early readers of the of the novel said, "Wow, nobody wants to talk to him because he's the he's the white elephant in the room." Oh. And uh-huh. I hadn't realized that you know that white was elephant. there. And but he's a wonderful character. Um, That's awesome. Well, part of it is jokes. you know I, I, I'm I'm playing with the notion of intolerance and. And while the, the well, elephants, yeah, obviously uh, that's an obvious allegory. So. Yeah, well, but 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 while the rest of the galaxy loathes and finds the elephants disgusting, within their own society, the elephants have a similar intolerance for a a, a small, very minute portion of their population, and and so we're seeing it from both sides. Where the abused becomes the abuser. In effect, um, yeah. and and I mean he's he's a, he's a frightening child. Uh, in according to what I made up about about the and, and they're not really elephants because they're they're raised mammals, so we're, we call them font. Um, font biology is such that um, when when a male and female font bond, their biology changes, uh, and and they can procreate. Prior to that bonding. Um, sex is entirely recreational. It, it should not produce offspring. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, there's a fluke, you know, a one in a billion chance. And, and that child normally has all kinds of genetic anomalies and, and typically doesn't live to term. Mm-hmm. Or if it, if it is birthed, it dies soon after. Uh, but if it's such a child is born, it's abandoned in, in like the city square. No one claims it. And this is that child. But he's six when the book starts. Well, he's managed to survive this long. He's managed to survive, and he is the son of our protagonist's friend who killed himself. Oh. Oh, my. So our protagonist has sort of assumed a surrogate father role in some ways, even though by his own culture... He shouldn't even talk to the kid. He shouldn't even acknowledge the child's existence. But this is how he is honoring his friend. Wow. It's the only thing left of him. 
Oh boy. Exactly. So it's 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 a heavy book. Yeah. Um, and another elephant comment. Well, but it is love. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know you can pack a lock in a, a lot in the trunk. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have been talking to Lawrence M. Schoen. For far too long. Uh, about <laughs> and what is the name of the book that's coming out? The name of the book is Barsk, subtitled The Elephant's Graveyard. Oh, that just that just exudes atmosphere. Well, because at some point in in any elephant's life on Barsk, mm-hmm. they wake up one morning and they know their life is coming to an end and they have an understanding of a destination to go to. And they pack everything up and they don't say goodbye, they just set sail for this island where all the people who are going to die go. Ooh. Wow. And in, this, in the very first chapter, uh, the first very first chapter is about such an old elephant, and he's on his raft, and he's sailing, and he knows where he's going to go. And three days out at sea, a ship, a spaceship, comes up underneath his raft, lifts him off the water, and he is abducted by other members of the galaxy who are part of this, this secret uh, mission to find out how, how the elephants are, are making this drug and they, they are, and they abduct him and, and he's, he doesn't understand what's happening. He is dead in his own mind and he shouldn't be talking to people and let alone, and let alone people who aren't elephants because under the terms of the agreement, no non elephants are allowed to, to come to Barsk. And that's how the book begins. Oh my. Uh, chapter one is called A Death Detoured. Ooh, okay. So, well, I'm absolutely sold. If you, uh, uh-huh, where you can have to we? Wait December. <laughs> December. Neener, neener, neener. Oh. Well, you're, my publicist, is, I think, is sending you a copy. <laughs> advance, I'm looking forward to reading it. All the people who are listening to this, man, I, I, you know, send the hate mail. Care of care of um, uh, Krypton Radio, and I'm, I'm sure that you guys will forward it to me. And uh-huh. stuffed inside a dead otter. Stuffed inside a, a dead what? A uh, dead otter. otter. A dead otter. No, the otters are great. <laughs> that, that's the other. You know, I got to play with with uh, lots of tropes of different animals. So the otters, this telepathic otter, she is she is she is like the Paris Hilton of otters. <laughs> she she is this overprivileged high society. Um, her people have made her a, a, a planetary treasure because mm. she's she's a, a, mm. this rare thing, a telepath who is also a speaker to the dead. Um, and the bad guys come along and they 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 reassign her her status and they make her a resource so they can use her to their own ends. Uh, but prior to that, she's just this party girl. Wow. Any kind of drug, she'll she'll do it. Uh, any any sexual partner? Sure, why not? Let's try that because she's an otter, you know. She's lithe and and likes to play slip and slide and just have a good time. Um, <laughs> and there are yaks and bears and badgers. The badgers are, are really bad. They're uh, they're interrogators. They badger oh, you. Oh, that. Makes well, sense. I guess they do, that but you sense. know, nobody nobody messes with them twice. I mean, they're no, grumpy no. gusses. 
and and there's a sloth who's a fairly major character. Mm-hmm. I, I like the sloth; she's fun. Uh, and on and on. It's just it's just uh, it was a lot of fun to play with uh, to take various classic tropes associated with various species, uh, and then how do they now now make these animals intelligent, sapient, give them language and 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 hands and what survives of of those alien of those animal tropes into into sapiens it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic book lawrence m shown thank you for joining us on this evening's episode of the event horizon here on krypton radio thank you very much it's been a pleasure you have just heard episode 114 of krypton radio's weekly production of the event horizon for september 12th 2015 our guest has been Lawrence M. Schoen, author of the Amazing Conroy series, one installment of which, Buffalo Genesis, is currently pushing towards its Creative Commons release on moosevine.com. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. This episode will air again on September 13th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at additional times throughout the coming week. See our website for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at CatCarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit Patreon.com slash KryptonRadio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schermeister. The engineer was played by Christian Dean Dwyer. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>